At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Check it out now. No doubt now. It's the Beating the Boat podcast. Gil Alexander, hope you're well. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're enjoying your life. Despite the strange and surreal time this is. And really, hope you're enjoying all the content here on the Beating the Book podcast during the pandemic. Today, tennis. Not for everybody, but if you don't like it, if you don't like betting it, you may not like money. Uh, this is Dan Weston. For those who are listeners to a numbers game at Visa, he's very familiar. I haven't had him on the podcast before, uh, but I often say uh, this is probably the guy with the best record over the longest period of time in any sport on my shows. It's about as simple as that. Uh, and what better time to use to go through a masterclass series? Betting Tennis 101. Really not just the 101, but the masterclass series. Uh, Dan Weston, his general approach to handicapping tennis, where you can get the data for it, and what are some of the myths that he wanted to bust or that I at least wanted him to address when betting the sport of tennis. Dan Weston on today's Tennis Masterclass Series on the Beating the Book Podcast. Enjoy. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. It is the numbers game right here at Visa, the Vegas Stats and Information Network, the sports betting network, Sirius XM Channel 204, Visa.com, the Visa app, Fubo, Sling at Game Plus. It is Gil Alexander live from the Bay Live from San Francisco, uh, this is where sports betting analytics, actionable sports betting information lives on the show today. Uh, we don't get the opportunity during the hamster wheel that we're on during the normal sports cycle to stop, reset, and get into handicapping basics, especially on sports that we've made hay on, specifically here on a numbers game, like the sport of tennis. Uh, and so we want to do that for a little while today because... I, I think this is what uh, there's a subset who's like, I would really like to get into the weeds of tennis. So we'll do this here at the top of the show. And for that, of course, we bring in our longest tenured 
uh, tennis expert here on the show and really the guy that we go to for all the nuts and bolts. Uh, if you could only bet one sporting event across the gamut and had only one shot at one event, who would be the guy you'd go to and what sport would it be? Here's my answer, everybody. It's Dan Weston uh, from the UK. They're in England right now. Dan, good afternoon to you. How you doing, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, Gil. That's uh, very kind of you. Very kind words for me, so thank you. Uh, how, how, first of all, before we get into the nuts and bolts here, how has give us a snapshot of how folks in England have dealt with the pandemic. Is it similar from your understanding of how we have sort of choppy? How has it gone over there? Yeah, it's a bit of a strange time, really, because um, you've got the lockdown has happened as it has with most most countries, really. But the government eased it off about a week and a half ago, a little bit. So you can now you can see one person who's not in your family at any one time, as long as it's outside and social distancing of two metres away. So there's there's a little bit of more scope to sort of do stuff. You know, the shops are starting to open again, like a few, few of the sort of the burger chains, you know, like McDonald's, KFC, stuff like that are all starting to open again. So it's a little bit of going back to some form of normality, but it's, it's a... It's a really strange time, and obviously no sport as well, which is which is strange yeah. for everybody. Strange for everybody. I'm going to start telling people here when if they get within two meters of me, because we use six feet, obviously, uh, here, Dan. I'm going to start telling them, two meters, buddy, and see if they even have any idea what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> listen, you're doing, you write for Pinnacle, you write for Betfair, you did for Betfair here. Um, Dan, see, Dan's getting calls during the show. He's a very popular man. Dan, you for, for Betfair, you've written this masterclass tennis betting series and masterclass has become very popular on Facebook in all different arenas, uh, whether it's writing with Malcolm Gladwell poker, I think Daniel and the ground, there's all kinds of things that people are doing masterclasses. You do one for tennis and you link to it, by the way, on your Twitter, everybody should know at tennis rating. So after this discussion, if they want to go deeper, uh, they can find the links there, but it's in three parts. And I want to do the first two parts here before the break. And then the third part after the first of which is really the nuts and bolts of what you do. It has to do with service, uh, hold and break, opponent percentages, or service and return points, one percentages. This is the crux of what you do, because as you put it, it really does give sort of a fair baseline of the skill level of players. Now, that's exactly it. So there's there's a really strong relationship between the combined hold break percentages of a player and their win percentage and likewise with service and return points one percentage for each player it's the same thing as both of them uh, really drive win percentages of players and if you if you look at the the charts that i put in in that first article um you can see that the the top three players by the combined service and return points one percentage federer djokovic and nadal all had the three um, highest win percentages as well. So there's the elite three are just still still out there as the best as the best players on tour, and yeah, it's it's really useful to sort of compare and contrast those those players. And 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 what I do as well is I use those those numbers uh, surface related usually probably 12 months sample size I would, I would try to try to do on the whole and I would then use those service return points one percentages and whole break percentages for two players on the surface to generate kind of a model price and just as sort of a, a a guideline and you and I have referred to this on the show before in our in our many times together uh, when you combine service and return points if you just add them together 115 is is elite 
you drop down a few percentage points from there. You're talking just below the elite level. And then 100 is what top 50. Is that kind of the, the, the yeah. very top 50 in the ranking? Yeah. Like the average player on tour kind of thing. If you're a hundred, then, then yeah, about 45, 50, I find to be, to be about the mark for those, those type of players. And yeah, on the whole, players inside the top 50 will have over a hundred percent mark. You know, they're winning more points than they're, than they're losing, but obviously it's a bit of a sliding scale. Uh, um, but then obviously players outside the top 50 in terms of ranking, unless they're you know, long-term injury players, you know, like guys like Andy Murray, Del Potter, et cetera, they're, they're going to have on the whole below hundred percent for those metrics as well. So, um, and it's important, obviously, as we're kind of probably going on and talk about to look at that opponent quality and stuff as well. So that's 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 also that's also something to to discuss as well. Yeah, just just to give people some tangible examples, you already mentioned Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. At least pre-pandemic, we don't know any different after the pandemic. But it is amazing how those three guys are just completely off the charts. Uh, outlier, you were uh, in terms of their just elite status, but in terms of that top 50 mark. I think one of the things that I found fascinating was, and this makes sense intuitively when we watch the sport of tennis, there aren't many examples you say of being below a hundred percent combined in these categories and being consistently ranked inside the, uh, ranked inside the top 50. Um, but there are, there are some guys that sort of buck that and they tend to be the guys we think of as very in layman's parlance, head cases, if you will, who are those guys? Yeah, well, I think we were kind of uh, enigmatic. It would be a dip- diplomatic word, yes. maybe to use. But um, nice. yeah, Benoit, Benoit Pair was someone we've spoken about quite a few times ourselves, haven't we, on the on the show? And um, he's a guy who's got a really high ability ceiling. I remember watching him play Del Potro in Rome, maybe like two, tw- I want to say 2014, but it, was, it might have been a year either side of that. Uh, and he wiped the floor with Del Potro that day. That was, that was a, a, a real tough one for me to take because I was, I was favoring Del Potro that day. And um, yeah, uh, he's got such a high ceiling, but he, he can just throw in really bad performances as well. And, and guys like Fabio Fanini and, and Nick Kyrgios are also, also, uh, you know, fit the bill in that respect as well, I would say. Yeah. I find the outliers fascinating in general, because you, you were talking about guys that tend to win matches more than those underlying uh, analytics would suggest and guys who tend to lose more than their underlying analytics yeah. suggest. Could you give examples of those categories? Yeah, so so for sure. I mean, someone like Stefano Tsitsipas is, is someone who's a real outlier in terms of how much they win compared to their underlying data. So so their his underlying data isn't fantastic. It's decent, don't get me wrong, but it's not not stellar. And certainly not like top five level, which he's kind of on the cusp of right now in terms of a ranking position. Um, and and his return data is what tends to hold him back. And I think that, that, that unless he can address that, then it's going to be a pretty quite a big problem in terms of you know looking at grand slams in the future. On the whole, well, the vast, vast, vast majority of the last 10, 15 years for men's grand slam winners have all had uh, above average percentages and considerably above average percentages for breaking opponents, and 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 that's really quite logical as well because. You've, you don't, if you're playing best of five sets, you don't want to play long long points. You don't want to play long match, long sets or matches. That accumulating fatigue is just is something to, you've really got to try and avoid as a player. And and the serve-orientated players like Sitsipas and, and 
going down the rankings a little bit, someone like Kyrgios as well, John Isner likewise, this, that really holds them back in these big tournaments because the the one they're relying on variance a lot with the big serves and tie breaks and stuff like that, key points, winning key points, but the, but they're also going to get more tired because they're playing longer matches on the whole. And, and, and if you look at like the winners of Grand Slams compared to those guys who sort of bow out in the quarters and semifinals, by that stage, a lot of the time, the winners have played like two, three hours less court time by like the quarterfinals and it's, 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 it makes a massive massive difference on on the flip side that someone like Milos Raonic Grigor Dimitrov who have got not high, uh, high reputations in, in the past have underwhelmed from a win percentage but their underlying data is actually a little bit better than what, what you might expect from, from their win percentage so they're perhaps guys to look at next season in terms of you know, favourable conditions as well both both them are quite like fast courts particularly Dimitrov loves a fast court so finding finding some value on those guys probably underrated a little bit by the market right now uh, talking to Dan Weston at Tennis Ratings is where you can find him on Twitter, uh, tennisratings.co.uk, uh, his website. Uh, we won't give away every name and every piece of your piece because we want people to actually read through them. Uh, but in part two, and you alluded to it, uh, you alluded to it earlier, Dan, opposition quality is such a key component of this. And while that may sound obvious to some, uh, you really dive into that deeply. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, the the fact that I mean, even my eyes are open studying this. To be honest with you, the fact that the top twenty, the top ten players play like three times as many matches against top ten opposition as as guys who rank forty one to fifty is just mind blowing. To be honest with you, and, and it really shows how tough the top guys have it in terms of having to play high quality opposition on, on a regular basis. Yeah, and, and the example of uh, Novak Djokovic is such an interesting one for people who ever had any doubts about his dominance and, and just the, the nature of his dominance. You make the point that once you get out of top 10 opponents for Novak Djokovic, the dominance level is off the charts, like it is breathtaking. Yeah, exactly that. So he, he's boasting like Isner service numbers for when he's not playing top 10 opposition and obviously, but he doesn't have that reputation of being such a big server, but then he's also like breaking like 35% of the time as well. So when you're, when you're holding say 93% and breaking 35% against an opponent ranking bracket, that's so tough to beat. And it's, it's not surprising. He's prohibitively short priced by the market in most of those instances as well. So here's the money question then, Dan, because it occurs to me that people who are listening to this and those that are, because those that have listened to this show, a numbers game on VEASAN, this is the sport that we, this in baseball, are the two sports that we kill the most. And what we've just described about tennis, really just trying to ascertain what, you know, the, the difference between true skill set and what the stats or what performance shows, right? And mm-hmm. it's very similar to pitching in baseball. But the, the money question for those listening who are interested are, okay, baseball, I know where to get all those numbers. I go to these specific websites like fan graphs. The, the, the volume of information is just boundless. Where do they go for service hold and break opponent percentages uh, or service and return points, uh, one percentages in tennis? Where does one get that data? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think there's a, there's a number of good resources online for that. So um, the ATP website is is actually not too bad for it, and it goes back quite historically as well in terms of the the years covered. So you can even look at like you know previous eras and stuff like that. Um, also, uh, you can 
by all means, you can anyone can build their own database of, of data from the match stats as well. I mean, there's so many websites which have match stats for for the uh, individual matches. So, for example, websites like Flash Scores, Sofa Scores. It, uh, there's there's plenty of others who sort of all run off the same engine. Or they look like they run off the same engine. Um, the, the, do the the match stats that you can then put into your own database and create your own database of every single player. Um, alternatively, there's some, some subscription sites that that also cover that type of information as well. So there's there's websites such as On Court and Tennis Insight as well. They they charge a subscription, but they have a lot of information as well. So so a few a few sites for for people to have a look at. Yeah, and then every once in a blue moon, we should say, when you're feeling generous, uh, you come on this show and you're like, hey, I'll give this to you. Like, we usually do it for slams, right? Where you're like, oh, I'll give you this stuff. So you you may, I don't want to put you on the spot, but maybe once or twice in the future, you'll do that as well, I guess. I'm sure we will, yeah. We, we always uh, catch up in slams and a few, sometimes Masters tournaments as well. Yeah, so yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, let's hope, let's hope uh, tennis is sooner than later, Dan, because... You know, as we remember here in this country, the the night that the NBA shut down and the mornings when college basketball tournaments, uh, conference tournaments shut down. But really, it was tennis that was the first uh, sport to have a cancellation. And it was tennis's de facto fifth major at Indian Wells the Sunday before the NBA shut down where they were. And remember, they were ridiculed when they did it. Uh, but Riverside County, you know, which is a very older population, uh, predominantly older population, they really made a great move there. <clears throat> and tennis has been the first sport to really be vigilant about this and and uh, and shut down sport. But we, like every other sport, hope it comes back uh, sooner than later. That's for sure. After the break, Dan, let's get into the three biggest myths of tennis handicapping. We'll do that coming back on A Numbers Game with Dan Weston right here at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Numbers Game brought to you by Manscaped.com. Manscaped.com has the tools for your family jewels. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code VSIN at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off at Manscaped.com with promo code VSIN. Gil Alexander in San Francisco. Dan Weston in England uh, joining us by video Skype. Dan, great question off Twitter. Uh, this is the thing I always bring up when it comes to tennis data. Jamie Samuel, uh, great minds here. Great question. Does Dan fine spreads can be quote unquote wonky in tennis because players win differently. Some get up a break and then are happy to just maintain that break. Maybe to conserve energy fed on grass comes to mind. He says others tend to put their foot down a doll, no matter the score. I would sort of add to that. There is this notion of, People, people always, their brains always goes to fit. They go to fixing matches. I'm not talking about fixing matches. What about the dirty data also of guys who they're down a break in a set? Let's say they're up two to one in, let's say, a five setter. They're down a break in a four set and they just kind of decide, yeah, I'm just going to let this set go and play the fifth set. So there is that notion of, of dirty data in tennis. Is that a problem for you? Yeah, I know what you're saying here. I'm. Um, I think that it's quite a rare circumstance that, say, a player will tank a set when they're a set down just to – sorry, a breakdown, sorry, I should say, in a set when they're leading, say, say 2-1 up in in a fourth set in a grand slam and they're a breakdown. I don't think I don't see that as being a major, major issue. Um, it, it probably does happen sometimes, but I think the effect on overall data is like very, very negligible. Uh, obviously, in a best-of-three uh, set matches, it's, it's even less likely that someone's going to want to tank a set 
you know, just, 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 yeah, I think there's as you could you could say that there's as much likelihood of that happening from the kind of a fatigue mentality kind of perspective as as a player just kind of like imploding anyway mentally and you know just just completely like losing the plot mentally because they're stressed or whatever and i don't see it's a major issue um at all really to be honest and and as far as what jamie was saying where certain players might have different behaviors i guess it all falls under the same category what you're saying is you you're just going to look at the raw data the more you overthink it the more you're polluting it basically you don't want to get into that game yeah, I mean, with 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 kind of the raw data and looking at players' ability to to come back or, or retain retain leads or come back from deficits and stuff, that's that's very very important. I have a database with that as well, which I think is is quite useful, particularly if you're maybe taking taking prices in running as well, if if you can do that. Um, but again, there is a kind of a trend, really. So what you'll find is that. The serve orientated players, they win sets by much more narrow margins, but they're also a lot better at retaining leads because they've got that powerful serve to back them up when when times get tough. Um, if they're a you know, break point down or 15, 15, 40 down, a lot of the time they can serve their way out of that hole. Uh, and whereas whereas a, you know, a more return orientated player, you know, perhaps a typical clay quarter, doesn't have the serve to, to bail them out when, when, when necessary. Uh, and so generally you find that there's this trend where the lower the hold percentage or the, the, the small, smaller the gap between hold percentage and break percentage, the more likely a player is to, to lose leads and, and to have more, more of a, uh, a match which is quite topsy-turvy with a lot of breaks or perhaps some, some dominant sets as well, like a double break lead of a set, like say 6-2, as opposed to the serve-orientated guys, you know, like Isner, Kyrgios, and Federer, who, who win a lot of sets, sort of 6-4, 7-5, 7-6 type thing. All right, Dan, we got 90 seconds, so I'm going to shout out the three big myths in tennis handicapping, and you give me a few words on them. One, the fallacy of head-to-head records. Yeah, so head-to-head records, this is, the sample size is just not big enough to to, to warrant much investigation into this. Um, what, what, what I would say is that it's got to be really have a lot of context with it. So recently, the recent data, two to three years, at least a three-nil lead would be would be recommended. Also, the surface, did they play on the surface, which was favouring one particular player? And also like, looking at the career trajectories of, of the different players as well, because sometimes you see like a guy like three nil down in head to head, but all, all them three defeats were like when he was like a young player, and now he's a lot better. So how can you really give any credence to that head to head? You can't really. Um, and, and and understand the context of the matchup as well. So I talked about my 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 friend who was a top ten player at one point. He he had an eight nil head to head deficit against one player, but he 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 lost like tie breaks and blue match points and blue serving for the match and stuff like that. So yeah, he said to me he's never he never felt beat before he went on the went on court you know against that guy even though he was like miles down in head to head. Tell you what, we'll we'll come back after the break. You don't mind? Do you mind Stay, no, sticking no, around one more? No. We'll get we'll get to the other two myths. Uh, sure. In addition to the fallacy of head-to-head matchups, because there's two others that I think are key. The second of which is really fascinating. Dan Weston uh, talking tennis. Since we've got the chance during these strange times, let's take it. Let's get to the nuts and bolts of tennis handicapping on the way. Chris Felica still to come. Bill Krakenberger as well on the numbers game at Visa. He's betting them. Welcome back to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. It is a numbers game right here at Visa, Sirius XM Channel 204. Gil Alexander, Dan Weston, 
uh, at Tennis Ratings, by the way, again, where you can find him on Twitter if you want to dive deeper into this for all the uh, tennis heads who want to handicap tennis and uh, win. I mean, I guess if you if you don't like money, you may not want to do it. But, you know, if you like money, might be something you might want to dive into. <laughs> just just a suggestion. Uh, but here are the three biggest myths. We just talked about the fallacy of, of when they throw up head-to-head stats. It's generally meaningless. Uh, as Dan said, there might be a rare circumstance um, that fits all these criteria, enough of a sample size, the proper surface, on and on. But generally speaking, it's all uh, nonsense, quite frankly. Number two, um, this one's interesting because you'll see this every once in a while, the notion of a home advantage in a tennis match. Explain that. Yeah, so obviously in a lot of sports, and I don't know what it's like in American sports so much, but in soccer in England, the, the concept of home advantage is, is massive. And team, teams routinely have a you know, considerably higher win percentage at home than they do when they're, when they're away. Um, and I think some people think that this kind of applies with, with tennis as well. Um, you know, if a, if a player is playing in front of like a passionate home crowd in a big, big tournament, maybe they might get an extra 5-10% out of it. That's, I guess, some people's theory. But mathematically, if you're looking at like closing prices, that, that, that wasn't really a, a major factor at all. And, and I think that a lot of the time, when you're comparing those closing prices to to the actual wins that the the, the, the players as a group recorded, um, the more of a more of a case is the fact that they're actually getting conditions to their liking at home a lot more. So, for example, you look at like English players, for example, a lot of them played a lot on grass when they're younger, so they're better on grass than they are than they are. Um, on other surfaces, perhaps particularly clay, notably, and 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 therefore therefore they might perform better on grass but that's that's expected because they're they're, they're at home at Wimbledon Queens big tournaments in, on grass in England but then also the fact that say say if there's a Spanish or an Argentinian player a lot of the time they're clay court specialists um real return orientated players they're not necessarily performing better because they're in their home country they're just they're just performing better because the conditions of their home country's tournaments tend to be Sort of very slow clay courts, for example, in those instances. Right. Uh, and there's quite, there's quite a few few other examples. So, for example, looking at the flip side of hard court, uh, going back in time a little bit, Bernard Tomic, who, although his career's imploded a little bit at the moment, um, he had a superb record on uh, fast hard courts in, in Australia. And in Kyrgios as well, a similar type of player as well. But that's completely to be expected. They're serve-orientated players. So it's kind of looking at, horses for courses rather than actual specific countries, looking at the conditions, looking at which tournaments offer slow, slower conditions than, than faster conditions, et cetera. Horses for courses. Uh, I hope that one is pretty straightforward for people, for people. This is the third and final one. And I find this one the most interesting because I remember distinctly, Dan, you and I during Wimbledon last year, during the last Australian open, having this circumstance come up and it's the notion of incredible overreactions within tournaments um, explain how two different markets can be doing two, uh, two different things at the same time. Yeah, well, it's funny enough because I thought of our conversations about Sophia Kennan um, bef- yes. before, before the pandemic started uh, in Australia in January and, and how it was completely absurd that, that she was actually uh, a bigger price to win the tournament uh, compared, uh, compared to uh, Corey Golf despite the fact that she is favorite for their individual match. I think it was in the fourth round of that particular tournament. And there's, there's a few instances of that. So 
uh, Gorf again in, in Wimbledon last season was, was quite similar. Uh, and Lucas Russell, notably in Wimbledon 2012, after he beat Rafa Nadal, ended up being fifth favourite on Betfair outright for the tournament. But he was a heavy underdog in the next round against Philip Kohlschreiber. So how does that work exactly? I mean, there's some massive flaws in those those outright markets from that perspective. And and generally speaking, there was a slight underperformance from heavy underdog winners in against notable players, players who are priced over 5.00 in decimal, decimal terms, uh, how they performed in their next match, backing up a big win, if you like. And, and, and they slightly underperformed. Um, based on closing price value, uh, and so so kind of my my mentality is that in England they might call it like something called after the Lord Mayor's show, where a player kind of disappoints after after a uh, a big win. Whereas I think a lot of people kind of try and ride the player's perceived form when actually it's not really form, and a lot of it's kind of variance or the big name player underperforming as well. So there's a lot of other factors that go into it rather than one player being on like a you know, complete roll. What was the term you used after a disappointing uh, match? What was the term you just used? Yeah, disappointing match after a big win would be called after the Lord Mayor's show. <laughs> after the Lord Mayor's show. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you off air exactly the origins of that. Um, but I, I think, and, and I don't mean to offend at all, but whenever you're on, we always joke, there, there's a bit of an English to English translation here for the predominantly American audience. But essentially, if you miss that, what Dan is getting at is, uh, the, the the example of Wimbledon when Coco Golf beat Venus Williams, I believe it was, or when she had a, an upset, I think even a starker upset uh, in Australia. I think she she beat the number three seed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, but you'll see, yeah. yeah, you'll see the futures market where Coco Golf's number will just crater, and it will be just she'll be like the third or fourth shot to win the tournament all of a sudden. But in her mm. next match she's much more appropriately priced. And what Dan is getting at is that match price is more often than not the much more accurate one. Is that well said? Yeah, very much so. So, yeah. so I, I, I much more favored Kennan than, than Goff in that um, yeah. Australian Open match in January. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously the, the outright market was, was, was not favorable on Kennan at all. Yeah. Dan, uh, I can't thank you enough. We, we don't get a chance to do this when we're handicapping matches, um, but this was a great time to do it. And again, for those who want to delve into it, because we just really scratched the surface, uh, at Tennis Ratings is where Dan has posted his three masterclass tennis betting series pieces uh, over there at Betfair. And uh, last thing in 30 seconds, Dan, uh, when do you think we're coming back? What's your best well, guess? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think we're going to get some decent action this year. I mean, I think maybe like August might be a, you know, an optimistic estimate. I'll, I'll take that too. Yeah, absolutely. We'll come back. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it, man. And, and really uh, stay safe and we hope to talk to you soon. Yeah. Likewise. Take care, Gil. Dan Weston, the great Dan Weston doesn't get better than that in any specific sport on planet earth. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.